Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Wednesday edition of Sports Conversation. I'm Don Henderson. We've got a great group of guests on tonight. We look forward to a really, really good show, and we hope that you'll enjoy it as we go along. Frank Carroll is our executive producer, as always, and 
Before we start tonight, Frank has a dedication he'd like to put in. Frank? Yeah, Don, uh, tonight uh, we're, <clears throat> we're dedicating the program to the uh, another un- unfortunate accident uh, in uh, Delray Beach. Uh, uh, Trooper Zachary <laughs> Ben, a three-year veteran of the Florida Highway Patrol, was killed uh, in a pursuit uh, last week uh, on 95. Um, the perp uh, had made a U-turn, went south on uh, 75. He turned around to go south on 75 and ran straight into a tractor trailer. And unfortunately, uh, Trooper Ben and the dri- driver were uh, killed instantly. So to his family, to the, my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, all the troopers out there, um, we send our deepest regrets. Thank you very much, Frank. We certainly do, all of us across the board here on the show. And Roy Cummings is always uh, looking forward to Roy's comments tonight because a lot of things happening around the, the world of sports. And, uh, of course, uh, Roger Roger Hendler is in Atlanta. And, uh, well, we've got people in Washington. We've got people in Baltimore. So we'll get right started. We'll go to Roy Cummings. And, Roy, uh, we've got to touch a little bit, I guess, on the Super Bowl to start the show, I, I don't want to waste a lot of time with the Super Bowl because everybody's read as much as they can read. But uh, some of your thoughts on the Super Bowl before we jump to something else? Well, uh, you know, I think it's a, uh, I think it's going to be a, uh, you know, it's shaping up on paper right now to be a, an absolutely classic matchup. Uh, look, I thought the uh, 49ers were, were the best team in the NFC going into the season. I'm not surprised that they're there. They had a couple of struggles here and there. Um, overcame some real, obviously some some incredible issues at quarterback over the last uh, eighteen months. So, um, uh, but you know what? When you when you have the opportunity to pick up a guy like McCaffrey and uh, let him uh, find his way in your offense, that works for you. There's a lot of couple of Buccaneers ties there, obviously, with John Lynch as the GM. Uh, the coach was once a uh, uh, an assistant on on a staff with John Gruden here in Tampa. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a classic matchup. I really do. Um, the, 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 uh, the chiefs have been the, the class of the league now for the last three, four years. And, uh, just when everybody thought they, they maybe were, uh, they were done, uh, they come right back to life and show you that they're, uh, probably still the best team in the league. So, uh, you see, I, I don't think you could ask for a better matchup in terms of, uh, you know, each each conference giving you the best they've got, so uh, looking forward to it. Think it'll be a lot of fun, and um, you know, hoping for a good game, obviously. Roger Hendler in Atlanta, you uh, were the first to speak a little bit last week about whether this will be Ron Reed's swan song if he gets this third uh, Super Bowl ring. And uh, now, of course, all the papers are talking about it. Is it going to? Is it going to? Your thoughts first on Ron Reed. Your second thoughts on the game itself. Well, uh, he said uh, this week uh, that uh, he's not uh, going to retire. Uh, you know, he's looking to stay around for a while. So uh, we'll see. All the players happens. want him to stay around. <laughs> well, they do, and and I'm sure the uh, ownership uh, they all want him to stay around because uh, you know he's the best coach in, in football right now. Of course, when you have the best quarterback, that means a uh, a lot. But uh, I, I picked the Chiefs to win, too. And, uh, you know, here uh, there's been a lot of uh, talk about uh, Kyle Shanahan has got to win a Super Bowl uh, to uh, prove himself. And, excuse me, he's had the opportunities, and uh, he has not uh, been able to make it. And 
<clears throat> excuse me, I'll tell you, um, the, of course, the one that will uh, be uh, in, in Atlanta is the one where they had. Moore Quinn was the one that lost um, it. <laughs> He Man was the head coach, coach and uh, the, the last play, always all they're talking about, that last play forever. Forever, exactly. And uh, they a, a lot of criticism now about the uh, commanders, and we can talk about that later with their selection of Dan Quinn. Uh, I heard uh, Adam Shine on uh, Mad Dog Radio today. He absolutely buried Dan Quinn. So, well, you know, we'll talk with Mike about that later. But, you know, I, I agree with uh, you two fellows that, uh, and, and all, all of us that, uh, you know, I think it's going to be Kansas City. Uh, I would be very surprised if San Francisco wins this game. Well, again, they're a two-point favorite, and the Kansas City Chiefs love to come into the games as the underdog. I don't know how they keep being the underdog all the time, but they are once again. And, Roy, uh, it, it's very, very interesting because, they have so many dimensions. You talk about the 49ers. Uh, you know, they're young, I say young quarterback, because that's what he really is. He's really only his second big year uh, in this big game against maybe the greatest quarterback, a warrior, uh, playing right now. So some of your thoughts on the quarterback situation. Yeah, it's, um, you know, again, on paper, it's a David and Goliath type situation. You've got a guy who was, you know, obviously uh, picked high in the, in the draft against a guy who was picked last. And uh, look, uh, there's no question that Brock Purdy has proven himself to be much better than uh, the position he was drafted at. Um, some people say he's a system quarterback, but uh, you know what? So what? Um, you know, systems are designed to help teams win. And if you... Uh, if you if you play in that system well and, and you execute well, well, then uh, the system works. I mean, they're, they're all designed to work in a certain way, and it takes someone, you know, someone's got to push the buttons and somebody's got to, you know, execute properly. So uh, I, I, I think uh, Brock Purdy has, uh, has done an exceptional job, and, and you just you can't go to sleep on that guy. I mean, there's no question that Mahomes is the better of the two quarterbacks, and, you know, I tend to lean towards, you know, who's got the better quarterback. But um, as we saw two weeks ago in the NFC Championship game, Brock Purdy can have a, have some struggles, but he can also come come to life at any moment and uh, and catch you napping, and uh, and that could be a problem. Look, he's got enough weaponry around him to, uh, to you know to to really make good use of uh, uh, of the game plan that uh, Kyle Shanahan's going to put together. They can run it against you, they can throw it against you, they can they got tight, they got a tight end just as good as uh, Kansas City's. And they got a defense that uh, that can get the ball back for them. So um, I, I think it's uh, you know it's it's a big moment. You know that's that's really the biggest question I think you would have right now of Brock Purdy is you know how you know how does he handle this moment? It's a big moment for him. There's no doubt he's been in some big moments before, but nothing this big. And um, you know it's hard to uh, one of the things that I've always marveled at uh, not marveled at but just wondered. Uh, about players at, at, at the Super Bowl is, you know, they spend an awful lot of time, more than any other game, on the field before the game, you know, just before the game, during the anthem and everything else, all the pregame stuff that goes on before they actually kick off, a, you know, kick off and, and play. There's 20, 30 minutes almost. Um, usually that lasts about, you know, seven or eight minutes. And that's the time when you can kind of get into your head a little bit. And you really need to get out there and get that first play in and 
Um, and that's a, that's a tough thing. You know, you can, you warm up for such a, you know, a certain amount of time, you've got your routine, but your routine, your weekly routine, your daily routine, everything is different, uh, during Super Bowl week. Uh, you know, you might practice the same way, but, uh, half times longer, pregame shows longer, uh, you're on the field longer waiting to play and uh, those kind of things. That's, that's where someone who, you know, it might get, someone could get into their head, their own head a little bit, and let a moment like that kind of derail them at, at times. So I'm anxious to see how uh, a young player like that handles that, especially if uh, they end up getting the ball first. But um, you know, it's uh, it, that's part of the game, and again, that's that's why this moment is different than any other, and why it's uh, it's often hard to predict, especially with the first timer, you know, what he's going to look like in that moment. Let's move back to Atlanta and uh, talk a little bit about the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, uh, uh, we had uh, the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles on last week. What a terrific job he did with us. But the Eagles have uh, named their new offensive coordinator. Uh, you agree or disagree, uh, Roger? Well, I, you know, to be, Don, to be honest with you, I think only time will tell. Uh, there's uh, people that um, think that Faggio uh, was the wrong choice. Um, they uh, even probably it leans towards that more than uh, against uh, offense, but uh, uh, Kevin, Kellen Moore. But um, I, I just don't know. I, I mean, uh, I think a lot depends on uh, Sirianni, and uh, he just you know seems like he's just going to be like a, a CEO. Let them uh, do the like Alan Kellen uh, Moore do the offense and. Fazio do the uh, defense. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think a lot, everybody just is very apprehensive about how this is all going to work out. But, you know, they've got the talent on that team, and I'm sure that uh, Howie Rosen is going to be uh, bringing in a lot of good talent in the draft and free agency. So it should not be that they are, um, you know, a run-of-the-mill team. I, I, I do not see that. Well, I don't want to take any listeners away from us and uh, turn them to the TV, but, Roy, let's get to the to the lighting because uh, they're playing the Rangers tonight right now and nothing, nothing in, uh, in the early going 14 minutes and 38 seconds in the first period. But we have to talk about Coop because what a job he's done after the very mediocre startup of the 500 point. But January was his, <laughs> was his month, and uh, they just played outstanding hockey. But... What I want to talk to you about is the tremendous change, and one of the things that really hurt them in look, looking at the review in that first uh, month or so of the season, they went to a totally different type of defensive concept, and they just didn't have it down as on pattern as they really wanted it. It didn't really come together until January, and when it did, uh, it really came together very, very well. Some of your thoughts on, on what Coop has done in the last month. Yeah, well, uh, look, I still believe that the biggest difference is that, you know, Andre Vasilevsky is back in goal. And that's, that always makes your defense look better. Um, but it, it's easy to run a defensive system when you've got that guy bailing you out all the time. It did take this team a while to kind of, you know, figure out the game plan, which, you know, when it, it, the other thing it took is it took a while for the chemistry to develop. You know, you, you brought right. in good players. Uh, you know, none of the guys that they brought in, you know, are, are, are stiffs. I and mean, they brought in good players. Um, and uh, to replace the, the names that, 
that are gone. You know, the Andre Palats, the uh, Yanni Gords, Alex Kalorn, uh, th- those guys, and, and you know, Patrick Maroon. Every one of those guys was replaced with someone who's basically the same kind of player. But it just took, I think more than anything, it just took about three months for those guys to, to, to get their own feel for that system and to figure out their role in it. And, um, because, and, and the other thing that's happened here with Tampa is that, you know, because of injuries, they've had to bring in a lot of guys from the farm system. And, you know, they're playing that system down on the farm, too. And I think that what you've had here is you've, you've just got a, a blend here of, uh, at one time, all together, you've got some players coming up from the minor leagues who understand the system and play it well, and the veterans who came, who, who've been brought in over the last, you know, nine months finally uh, have come and, and developed a, a comfort zone, a comfort level with the, uh, with the system. And I think that is the biggest uh, thing that's happened here is that everybody's just kind of comfortable with it now and they understand their role better. I think that's the biggest part. Um, but he also so, said that, you know, uh, he, he also said that you can no longer play man-to-man defense in hockey the way it is today because the players are too quick and that playing man-to-man hockey as they've been doing for years uh, was a, was a very stan- substantial way to play defense. He said, you no longer can do that. Uh, I looked at the Golden Knights and what they did win the Stanley Cup last year, and they completely changed to a box-in-one type of system. And he said that's what you got to do, and that's what he's doing with his wingers, his center, and more importantly, his defenders. He's uh, not letting them get good shots anywhere inside the blue line by changing his defensive concept. Yeah, and, that, and that, that's a great point, uh, a really good point. Is I, I do think the NHL is going – much more, and a lot of people may not see it, but but it's all there. There is a system there. Defensively, there's a system. Offensively, there's a system. And defensively, uh, you know, usually it used to be the teams that weren't very talented uh, would play the the, the zone schemes uh, because you know it's just, it's it's easy for everybody. It, it's just easier for the players to say, okay, well, this is my spot. This is where I have to be in our own end, um, and it's easier to figure out. Uh, young teams played that. Uh, kind of, you know, lesser talented teams. And the thing with the Lightning was, you know, you've got so much offensive talent that, you know, and so much speed, or you've had it in the past, that you felt like you could play that one-on-one system. But everybody's got to buy in, too. Um, it's a little bit easier to play the zone scheme. And, and again, I think you, it just takes, you know, guys buying in. And I think that's one of the biggest things is it's uh, everybody's figured out now where do they need to be, and and uh, it's just, again, it, it's a little less taxing on the brain because, you know, you just know, that, okay, this is where I have to be. And if this guy's not there, well, then I go and cover this spot. So um, it, it works. It's it's a lot simpler than playing man-to-man and um, uh, usually a little bit more effective, especially when you got a good goalie. So uh, it's working out. Well, you, for know you're no quad, you know you're quadrant, you get into it. That's it. As you said, that's. Your quadrant is yeah. where you're supposed to play. Exactly, and and you stay there uh, in your own end. And uh, and again, if uh, you know if if you don't just don't just don't just do your job. It's the old Bill Belichick thing. Just just do your job. If somebody else messes up, that's on them. But you stay in your own spot. And uh, you know, I think the, again because they've lost some of that skill skill level, that skill set that they had, some of the speed. Um, you know, they've had to change things up a little bit. And it's working out well for them. There's no doubt about it. The only concern I have for the Lightning going forward is it's still not a very deep team. It's a team that uh, is, going to, you know, going to be challenged 
if they lose anybody uh, from those top two lines now, uh, that, that could be really devastating for them. So they've got to stay healthy. But if they can, um, I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, if they can stay healthy, uh, I think they're going to make some noise in the playoffs for sure because, again, they've, uh, they've, they've got veterans who know how to play in the playoffs. And uh, by, by then, uh, that comfort level will be even greater than it is now. So uh, I, I look forward to this team being uh, some, a good te- a team to really keep an eye on and watch uh, down the stretch here. Roger, let's take a look over at Metropolitan because uh, the Philadelphia Flyers are, are playing much better than they have the last couple of years. They're not uh, in the top two. The Rangers and Carolina, of course, a little bit ahead of them, but they're right there between Philadelphia and the Islanders. So the uh, the Flyers are, are, are playing much better hockey than they played in the last three or four years. Well, there's no doubt about it, and they had a big win last night against Florida. And uh, the, after the game, they were talking about how uh, important that win was. And I was listening to uh, uh, WIP late, last night, uh, and uh, Jody McDonald was on, and he had uh, one of the uh, writers on talking about it, uh, one of the beat uh, Flyers writers. And he was saying that he believes the Flyers will be selling uh, off and picking up uh, a lot of future uh, unless they really see that they can get into the playoffs and uh, and do something. And they do have a lot of good players now, but uh, they're really building to the future. And, uh, you know, they may, just like, you know, in baseball where you, you make a deal at the trade deadline and you wind up, you know, getting a good young player uh, for a veteran uh, that would help a uh, Stanley Cup uh, challenger uh, to get over the hurdle. So that's what a number of people feel the Flyers will do. Roy, you know the coach better than anybody. Uh, you were there in in, uh, in uh, Tampa with him for many, many years when he won the Stanley Cup, and he's slowly moving the team into a much better position. Some of your thoughts on how quickly he can get them uh, into a real competitive position in the playoffs. Well, I think they can do it pretty quick, pretty quickly. I mean, look uh, – it's not out of the realm of possibility that, as uh, as Roger just alluded to, uh, they get into you know the mix and, and they're a playoff team this year. I think they're capable of getting there. They'll need some breaks uh, a little bit, obviously, and they'll need to play a little more consistently. Um, but I think they're capable of that. But um, as Roger said, I, I think anything that they do in terms of you know being a better than 500 team this year, or even you know being in in, in the sniffing distance of the playoffs, is really kind of gravy for them because. Uh, I, I think this, uh, you know, this resurrection that they've, they've hoped for here and this, this rebuild has gone a little bit better than they thought um, to this point because they found some pieces, I think, within the roster already uh, that they're very happy with. You know, guys like Furster and, uh, and certainly Travis Konechny, who they've figured out, can, you know, he can play a, you know, a, a lot more than, than he used to. I mean, they, they figured out he, he can be a penalty killer. You just got to give him that opportunity and things like that. But you know, uh, Cates and Furster, they got some, some really good young players here that I think they're very excited about, uh, very happy with. And, uh, yeah, you're going to see some players get moved, you know, um, Ristolainen and Pops possibly. Uh, there's, there's certain players who, you know, that uh, probably aren't going to be part of the future here because uh, at the end of the day, uh, they're going to want, veteran players who are ready to buy in or young players who are ready to buy in. 
And um, it's got to do with skill level too. But the biggest thing is, are you going to buy into the system and play this team concept that, uh, that John Tortorella really, really pushes for? I mean, I think the best way to, to, to notice the difference in the Flyers right now is you watch any game right now. And when they're in their own end, you've got four guys, five guys usually, that are absolutely willing to put their body in front of a puck and, and stop it. And nothing, in my opinion, uh, shows how much different this team is now than it was two years ago than that. Mm. I mean, you see guys who just never would have, you know, laid out uh, to, to block a shot, uh, doing it just consistently and regularly now. I mean, they really think defense first. And that is, um, you know, that's what John Tortorella preaches. Your own in first, take care of that. Uh, the, the offense comes off the defense. And uh, I think they've, they've figured that out. It bought in, and I think uh, going forward, it's uh, it's going to be a fun team to watch build and, and a fun team to watch on the ice because they're going to play a real, uh, you know, a, a good, solid, hard-hitting uh, brand of hockey, and uh, they're going to they're going to get they're going to be tough in the corners, tough along the boards, and tough in front of the net. Uh, theirs and, and the opponent's net, and uh, that's what's going to make them uh, fun to watch. Roger, I also think uh, the Rangers are. Uh, Lovelet has done a terrific job with the Rangers, and he's concentrates on just what uh, Roy was saying, obviously defense in front of the net, but more importantly, uh, his second and third lines are very, very important to the Rangers, even though this is really the best start they've gotten off in years. Well, there's no doubt about it, Don. Uh, getting back to the Flyers for a second, uh, the consensus is Carter Hart will probably never play another game for the Flyers because of the uh, uh, sexual uh, lawsuit. And uh, and that's sad. You know, they have finally had a great goal contender. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, things are happening. Just they happen in all uh, sports. But, uh, yeah, the Rangers uh, are looking good. And the uh, I th- think they, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, have gotten the fan base back at the Garden. Not that they ever lost it, but uh, they, they're more much, everything I see when I watch it is, they're much more rapid than uh, rabid than they were uh, uh, for a number of years when yeah. it was, you know, they didn't have a lot of success. Yeah. Roy, they're doing basically the same thing you're talking about. TV plays is, is a winner. I don't know how he keeps moving from one team to another, but uh, he certainly <laughs> he's finally found himself a home in New York. I'll tell you that. Well, you would think so. Um, look, I, I thought they had a—I thought they had a winning coach a year ago uh, with Gerard Gallant, but uh, that didn't work out. But uh, look, there is no doubt that right now the Rangers, talent-wise, are as good as any team in the league. They're as good as Toronto. They're as good as Edmonton. They're as good as Dallas. They're as good. As, they're just—they're just as good as any team in the league. As good as Vegas. They've got every piece that you want, and it's really just a matter of uh, again winning when it matters. Um, they're going to be there in the playoffs, and it's a matter of not letting that opportunity slip away. And well, so hold it like right there like because this, segment, this, this half-hour segment is coming to an end, and Roy has always uh, appreciated very, very much, and we covered a lot of territory in about 22 minutes. So thank you so much, and we'll do it again next week. Looking forward to it, guys. Have a great week. Hey, Roy, I can't wait to Thanks, talk Roy. to you about Las Vegas and baseball next week. You know, after the Super okay, Bowl. Let's do it. There's a lot Let, to be we'll do said there. Larry Bow is on sure. the line right now, so we're going to jump right in with Larry. No, and, no, no. Uh, Larry, you're down, you're down yeah, there in the spring, day, spring training headquarters. You don't get started with spring training yet there, but you're with the, with the young superstars right. that are 50 years old. How's the camp going? 
Don, it's Ray. So, Ray is on. Fifty-year-old. We got Fernandez sixty-two. No, he's not. Hey, not get, 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 get your superstars right, guys. Come on. That's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Doug, <laughs> let, me, let me reintroduce Doug Fernandez, the second guest. That I'm sorry, I apologize, Doug. Uh, super columnist for the for the Sarasota Herald, and uh, uh, if there's a guy that knows a lot about sports, not only here in the Florida area, but also up in the Northeast as well. He lived out in the Boston area all his life. And so let me start off with Belichick, and uh, we so we'll go with Belichick first, and some of your thoughts on the fact that he's been pretty much frozen out, although his son just took a job as a defensive coordinator. So your thoughts on that? Well, I'm out. I was, I'm kind of surprised. If you look at it, Belichick doesn't have a job and Mike Vrabel doesn't have a job. And if you were looking at two guys who had enough NFL experience as head coaches to get another job, you'd think they'd be the first ones to get one. But, you know, I, you know I, I'm beginning to think that a guy like Belichick, I, I think he's the kind of guy that sort of sucks the air out of the room, you know. I think he'd want – I think a lot of owners maybe don't want a guy like that sort of taking over their team. I think the reason Kraft got rid of him, I think Bob Kraft wanted his team back. I think that uh, he was such an, uh, a figurehead up there in terms of when you thought of the Patriots, you thought of Bill Belichick almost first. And I think Kraft wanted to maybe take his team back. And I think that's a lot of teams around the league maybe thought that Belichick would come in there and would want too much control, that he'd want to be a general manager, that he'd want to have last decisions on players. And if you look at the Patriots, uh, talent-wise, uh, they haven't been very good the last couple of years, and the buck stops with Belichick on that. I, I mean, he may be a heck of a coach, but as a general manager, he leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, if you look at his draft picks, if you look at his creation signings, a lot of them haven't materialized. And I think that's why the team went in the dumpster so quickly. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they, were, they had a winning record. Uh, Mac Jones was going to be the quarterback of the future. Now they're coming off a four-win season, and Mac Jones may have to go somewhere else to, to reinvigorate his career. I, I think he's ruined. I think the Patriots pretty much didn't handle him very well as, as a quarterback. I think he's ruined. So I think Belichick wants to coach again. It's what he does. It's, that's all he's ever done. He may take a year off and recharge the batteries and get into a next listen. Guys, there are always head coaching, head coaching positions open every year, right? Black Monday, there's always a handful of coaches that get fired. I think next year he may be back in the league, but I'm very surprised that Bill Belichick will not be in the NFL this year as a coach. I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, during football season, that's all he did. Now with no football, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what kind of hobbies he has. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you won't see him on TV, you know what I mean? So I'm very surprised, but I'm not surprised that Kraft moved on from him. Uh, this was four years they haven't been really a- a- any sort of a comparison to what they were with Brady and Belichick. They've really fallen off the table, and I think Kraft figured it was time to, to you know, listen, Brady had 20 years there. It was time to move on from him. It was time to move on from Bill Belichick, too, I thought. Roger, jump in. Doug, I agree. <clears throat> Excuse me, I agree with you totally. And uh, but I also uh, feel a couple of other things about Belichick. Number one, these owners want control of their teams now. The Eagles were a perfect example. Jeffrey Lurie let Chip Kelly have way too much authority. They moved Harry Roseman into a closet office, and he said he came right out and said. I want my team back. And I think that's the way the owners are. They are making so much money now 
They don't need to have a guy like Belichick around. Uh, and, and you're right about TV. Nick Saban, I saw today, got a job with ESPN uh, on the uh, pregame show and is an analyst, you know, with the draft and everything else. And he's a natural. Belichick does not have the personality to do anything like that in TV, unless he does 180 degrees, but that's not his personality. But I question at his age and uh, the way he he is, he had the opportunity to take the Falcons job, and he just uh, wants too much. He's not willing to work with anybody. It's his way or the highway. Well, guess what, Bill? There's the highway. Yeah, I don't think he uh... – I don't know for a fact. I don't know if people like, for instance, you know, uh, Atlanta had Blank and Rich McKay, and they've sort of been a team there for, for many, many years. Who's to say Belichick didn't go in there and say, I don't want to work with Rich McKay as my well, general manager? Well, that's what I heard he did. That's what I heard I he mean, did. I mean, listen, Rich McKay, Rich McKay, uh, he was great down here with Tampa Bay. He was there when they drafted guys like Brooks and Sapp and everybody. But really, Atlanta has really – the bloom has fallen off that rose. I mean, they haven't done anything up there for a few years, and I That's question right. what Rich McKay, what Rich McKay has had to do with that sort of lack of success. So, but if you're Bill Belichick and you're looking for a job, you really have to go with your hat in your hand, and basically because you know that uh, this team, uh, as you're talking to, is going to decide whether you work or not this year. So I don't think you make many demands, even if you're Bill Belichick, if you're looking for a job. Listen, we got it with the Patriots. It was it was fine while they were winning, right? It was fine mm-hmm. while they were raising that Vince Lombardi group. Once you stop doing that, and yet the the, the, the the megalomaniac that Bill Belichick is is still there, but the wins aren't there, that gets old in a big, big hurry. And Kraft gave mm-hmm. him four years. This, this is not like it happened over one season. The last four years, this team has steadily gone downhill. And I think Kraft, listen, Kraft was an owner who was a season ticket holder, back when they played at Schaefer Stadium, back when they played at Fenway Park and in the Yale Bowl. And every time they lost, he bled. I mean, this is an owner who really it affects his week when his team doesn't win. And I think he got tired of feeling crappy during the week every time they were losing. And uh, he gave him four years. Now, now, listen, that said, they bring in a guy like Mayo, who has no experience as a head coach. He's been an assistant for four or five years was a great player, a great leader, but you're taking your chance. But you bring a guy like that in, why? Because you can pay him about one-tenth of what you're paying Belichick, and you know he's not going to do anything to usurp your authority. He's just grateful to have a job. So I yeah. think in terms of a, a polarizing figure or a megalomaniac type, a bigger-than-life personality, I think they got the exact opposite with Mayo now. He's just a guy who's going to put his nose to the grindstone and try to work and, you know, he's going to have Bill, Bill Belichick's pedigree. So I think that's why Kraft went with a guy like that. He can control a guy like Mayo, and I don't think he can control a guy like Belichick anymore as the head coach. Doug Bernard is our guest this segment. And, of course, Doug, a super columnist for the Herald right here in Sarasota, Florida, and, of course, has covered all the sports that are to cover. But, Doug, I know you're going to have in the next couple of days a lot to say about this new dollar stream team because Fox, ESPN, Warner, they're going to launch a sports uh, Behemoth. Well, I know you've read a little bit about it. it. Really, a lot was written in the papers today. It looks like sports is just going to blow up all the way. It's going to everybody's going to stream everything. Well, here's the thing. You know, I had I had friends out in Kansas City because I used to work out. They went to school, and they're Kansas City fans. And a couple of weeks ago, their playoff game 
was on Peacock Network, and they were very, very upset because not a lot of people out there that I know had Peacock Network. So they have to go out to the bar and watch the game there. And, you know, really, when your team is in the playoffs, you expect the games to, to, be, to, be, to be free. You don't expect to have to pay to watch your team in the, in the playoffs. And the, the worst thing that could have happened was that they did great ratings, and it did. That game did, did bang out ratings. So what does the NFL think? You know, thinking about, you know, they, they make $10 billion a year. I guess that's not enough. So they, they, they're figuring out ways to monetize the game even more. Well, let the fans pay for it. The fans will pay for it. Yeah, the thing is, you pay for a playoff game, but if the Cardinals are playing the Panthers in week seven and both teams are one and six, I mean, maybe the hardcore fans are going to pay to watch that game, but who the heck else is? I, I, I think, you know, this, this stands a chance of, of, of them ruining. I think football, I'm not going to say it's ruined, but football the last four, five, six years is not the sport I remember watching growing up. It certainly isn't. They've legislated everything out of the game that made it football. They might as well just have, uh, you know, have flags and have a glorified flag football. But if they start charging people to watch football games, and like Brady said a few weeks ago, the quality is not what it used to be. You guys watch it. I mean, you guys watch the games. Wide receivers, their only job is to catch the football. They can't catch the football. You have linemen who look like they've never even practiced all week, going different directions, leaving a big hole for the guy to run. I mean, the, the quality of football is not what it used to be. So if you're thinking about paying to watch an inferior product, at some point the fans are going to say, I can live without this, okay? I can live Roger. without this. It's a once-a-week it's a game. I'll watch the highlights on ESPN, five minutes, but I'm not going to pay $25 to watch a football game, whatever it costs. I refuse. I'm with you, Roger. Doug, I'll tell you, I, I agree with you 100%. When I hear about what they're going to do, the future is streaming, I, I wasn't going to pay anything to watch that game on Peacock, and, uh, and I will not pay for anything. I mean, I figure I'm paying enough on my service to uh, watch TV that I'm not going to pay extra. And I, you know what I think is going to happen? I think the networks will finally get to the point they say enough is enough. We're not going to give you all this money and then you take away key games that really make a lot of money for us. I, I, I'd be interested to hear what the, both of you had to say about that. Yeah, that's, well, that's, that's, you, an I, that's an interesting point. Yeah, you, you go ahead, Don. I'm I'm with you 100. percent I didn't buy Peacock either, so I can't, uh, I'm with you guys. I, I'm not buying any more any more football games because I got enough football for what what that's free, and I've got, I'm not going to go any further. By the way, the Flyers right now are tied nothing nothing with the Rangers end of the first period, and uh, very very interesting. Uh, Doug, uh, let's get to the Super Bowl real quickly before Larry Bow comes on. Uh, some of your thoughts about the Super Bowl. You know, it's a rematch of the game, what, three or four years ago. Kind of an interesting angle down here. Richie James, who went to Riverview High School down here, uh, was drafted, uh, played for the 49ers when they faced the Chiefs, was the return guy. Now he's playing for the Chiefs when they faced the 49ers. So it's kind of an unusual little story there. But uh, listen, guys. Uh, uh, you know, you can analyze a game like this all you want. I just look at the quarterbacks, right? I just look at, okay, who's been there? Who's been under the, the most pressure of a Super Bowl? Who has proven that he's, he's done it? And that's Mahomes. Listen, a few weeks ago, I thought the Chiefs looked like they're not going to get their stuff together. I mean, they looked bad. 
And all of a sudden, they put it together like the Patriots used to, and now they're playing good football. And I attribute that to Mahomes. I'm going, I'm going with Kansas City, guys. I'm going with the quarterback who's been proven. I'm going with the guy who's the, the latter-day Tom Brady. I'm going with the team that is currently the dynasty of the NFL like the Patriots used to be. And uh, that's why I'm going with Kansas City. I mean, I like Purdy. I, I like the 49ers defense. I like a lot about them. But in a big game like this, I go with a team that's been proven, uh, you know, when it's the hottest in the cauldron. And that's why I'm, I'm going with Kansas City in this game. Uh, uh, I'm just looking at the quarterbacks, and that's who I'm going with. I'm not overanalyzing it at all. But what do you guys think? Roger? Yeah, I agree with you, Doug, uh, 100%. That uh, I'm going with the quarterback, too. And I think uh, Purdy's done well, but I think he's uh, really unchallenged. Uh, you know, and last year again, when uh, uh, they were playing the uh, Eagles in that NFC championship and he got hurt. Uh, so, uh, you know, they said, oh, they should have, they would have won if he, he was there. You can't, you can never tell. But I, I agree with you. I think uh, with Patrick Mahomes, uh, I think that they have the better team. And Andy Reid's uh, record when he has a bye, uh, coming off a bye, is stellar. And I just don't see uh, San Francisco being able to overcome all that. Well, and, and here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. We're in Taylor Swift's world, right? We, we, yeah. We're just visitors. So <laughs> for the storyline to play like it should, Taylor Swift has to, you know, win a Super Bowl with, with her man, and they have to be hugging, kissing, and the cameras have to be on her every other second because apparently right. she's the game. It's not what's happening. She's the game in the, in the box. I mean, they complete a five-yard pass, and they, they go to her. I'm like, what is this? I mean, I come on. She's worth $800 million, but she's not on the field playing. Put the camera back on the field. But, uh, guys, you, you, you know football now. It's all about everything except what's going on on the field, it seems like. You know what I mean? Well, it's the, what's happening on the field is the last thing. It's all the sidelight crap, which being old school right. like I am, I can't, I can't stand it. I, I hate it. Well, well, Andy Reid really doesn't get involved in all the off-the-field activities. Andy is very steady with everything he does. We were with him for a number of years in Philadelphia, obviously, with the Eagles when he won there as well. Uh, he has one system. He's quiet. He doesn't uh, – there's there's no jumping around or not much of a uh, showman in, in, uh, in Ron Reid. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, he is one heck of a coach. And I, I don't care what they say about him. you got to show me somebody's going to beat him before I believe it. Well, you know, when you look at a Kansas City team, you can usually tell by looking at a sideline and the coach whether he's in control or not or whether it's just chaos. Every time I look at an Andy Reid sideline, it looks like everything is in control. Even when they're down, it looks like it's calm, it's cool, it's collected. And I want a coach like that. I want a sideline like that when it starts to get the pressure gets turned up. So that's why I like them. I mean, they've been through everything, and here they are on the other side after having kind of a – uh, you know, a rocky season. Here they are in the championship game. I think you might see the best game Kansas City's played this season in the Super Bowl, which is which you hope that happens. Your team plays its best game the last game. I think you're going to see that in Kansas City. I, I think it's going to be a tremendous performance by Kansas City on Sunday. Roger? Yeah, I do too. And, uh, I, you know, the other thing is you're, you're both really right on target about, you know, how calm and cool and collective he is and organized. And he's always been that way. He had a good uh, staff from the beginning when he had the great Jim Johnson as defensive coordinator. And I think Steve Spagnola has really uh, brought a lot of that uh, with him. 
uh, and, and it's now really starting to surface because Andy went through a number of defensive uh, coordinators. I remember he had the uh, former West Coast, West uh, Point, I should say, uh, uh, defensive coordinator, I think, when he first uh, went to Kansas City. Bob, I forget his last name. And, uh, but it, it just, it, it, it's just a big difference. I mean, when you've uh, experienced the win and, and uh, all the celebration. But I agree with you, Doug, about this uh, Taylor Swift uh, situation. You know, one of the things that came out, I heard this this afternoon, about uh, that the NFL going on this streaming and in the future, down the line, probably after my, my lifetime, uh, it'll be streaming. But they say, well, we're, you know, that's what the young people, the, uh, you know, 18 to uh, 24. Let me tell you something. The 18 to 24 is not the hardcore NFL fan. You know, it's the 35, 30, 35, the 55, 60 years old. That's what the hardcore fan is. And I, I, think, I think they're totally wrong when they think that the uh, the kids, they'll wind up, they'll pay for this, the streaming. No, I don't think they will. They've got too many other things with their uh, phone, all the games, the computer games. It's not the young people uh, that are out there that are going to spend the money, my opinion. No, I think uh, when you talk about young people, you, they have a attention span of a gnat. So yeah. you know, if, if, they want, if they want a football game summed up, they can go on the highlights, they can watch three minutes of the highlights, watch every touchdown, watch every great play, and they feel like they've watched the game. So, yeah, I, I don't think – and who has a disposable income, right? I mean, if you're going to have to pay to watch games, I don't know if many 18 to, to, to mid-20 guys who have enough disposable income to go pay for an NFL game on a Sunday when it was free their entire life. Uh, you know, I know the NFL is trying to monetize everything, but after a while, you know, you, you go to the Golden Goose so many times, there's no more gold left. You know what I mean? And I think that's what the NFL has done with this product. The product isn't better than it was, and they're going to be charging people to watch an inferior product. I just don't see uh, – uh, listen, the hardcore fans, they'll watch their team no matter what. But the, the, the variety fan likes to watch the games on Sunday without getting really intense and up in the bit. They're not going to pay to watch. I mean, they can no. live without it. They can live without it. Doug Franz is our special guest this segment. Doug, of course, is a sports columnist for the Herald Tribune and uh, does a terrific, terrific job over there. And so a couple other things I want to switch gears with you for a minute because uh, Doug going to get a chance to cover the Orioles this year, and the Orioles have been down for such a long period of time until midway through last year. This is going to be the first spring training in quite a few years that you're going to be covering the Baltimore Orioles, a team that has a great chance to be right up at the top in the American League East. No, I, I think, listen, they were terrible. They accumulated a bunch of top draft picks. Now those draft picks are coming to fruition. They're, they're major league players. Their farm system is good. Uh, you know, they went out and picked up this guy Burns from Milwaukee. You know, I always wondered why Baltimore never went out and got a, a guy to anchor that top of the rotation. They never really had that guy. Well, this guy right. they got from Milwaukee, I think, has a chance. You know, he won the Cy Young three years ago. I think he has a chance to make everybody behind him better. You know, the starters take a step back down. They're not putting much pressure on themselves. Uh, yeah, I think the Orioles, uh, I, listen, the standard has been set, right? They're not going to go back to the way the Orioles used to be. The standard is now we're a 90-100 to win team, 
and we can make the playoffs. So I think that's the mindset. And once you do it once and, 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 and you've proven that you can do it, I think that helps going forward. I mean, once you get over that hump, I think, you know, it can, it, you can stay there with the influx of talent. I thought Brandon Hyde wasn't that great of a manager a few years ago, but by God, he's got these young guys playing together as a team uh, very well, and now he's considered one of the better managers in the league. Uh, listen, the only team that's not going to be in this race is my freaking Red Sox, okay? <laughs> they, are, they have become the Kansas City Royals in terms of spending. And it's very discouraging when, they, when you charge the highest ticket price in baseball and you trot out guys with five ERAs. I mean, their biggest signing in the offseason was this guy who uh, had a five ERA last year. And they're thinking if they tweak him, they can make him good. I'm like, tweak? This is a team that used to go out and get Chris Sale, used to go out and get the big names. And now they're getting guys they hope they can reclimate, turn into a winning pitcher. Uh, listen, Red Sox fans, I've reached the point where they're not going to pay $100 to watch a 500 team or a lineup of a bunch of 240 hitters or or, or a pitching rotation with a bunch of guys with five ERAs. That is not the Red Sox way. And if you talk to a lot of writers around the league or a lot of baseball watchers, they're like, what are the Red Sox doing? What are they doing? Listen, it's a better product. It's a better league. It's a better game when teams like the Red Sox play well. When, the Red, when teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees and Dodgers are doing well, it's good for baseball. When a team like the Red Sox is in the last place, that doesn't reflect well. And people are wondering, John Henry, you know, this team is now worth $2 billion. He paid a couple of hundred million dollars for it, but it's become one of his properties in his portfolio. I mean, now, you know, he owns Manchester United. He owns all these different properties. The Red Sox are just one of his many properties. And it's like, no, no, no. That's a public trust. That team belongs to New England, John, and you're going to take care of it. And it looks like he doesn't really care about, uh, about what he puts on the field. There used to be a team that, that always challenged for first place, and now they talk about, you know, we'll contend. They're not going to contend. They'll be in last place this year, guys, behind everybody else. And it's very, very sad because nothing's going to change going forward. This mindset is, is what it is. They brought, they brought in the Tampa Bay guy to do what they did for Tampa Bay, the tie and bloom, right? He was here for four years, didn't do anything. They get rid of him without realizing that the Rays are an organizational mindset. It's not just one guy. You just can't bring in one guy from a winning team, organization, expect them to replicate it at another team. It's a, it's a mindset from top to bottom. And bringing in one guy didn't do anything. And now they brought in Breslow, you know, a Yale graduate, pitched for the Red Sox. He comes in thinking they're going to spend money. And then he realizes, well, I guess we're not going to spend money. Uh, I think his eyes have been open too. I thought he, I think he came in thinking they were going to open up the pocketbook and really get some people, and that hasn't happened. And I think, uh, I, I think he's a little bit chagrined about taking this job now. I, I think it's not what he thought it would be. Uh, it's very sad. Roger? Very sad to see the Red Sox the last place. Yeah, well, the, uh, you know, I agree with that about about the Boston Doug. Uh, you know, it was interesting, early uh, in our conversation, you had brought up about Schaefer Stadium and, of course, when the Patriots played. I lived in New Hampshire then when they built uh, Schaefer Stadium. And as I recall, it cost $12 million, uh, maybe less. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Patriots had trouble uh, filling it, uh, but the Red Sox never had any trouble uh, with bringing people into Fenway Park. It was a great experience. And I can remember my daughter is now 44. 
about when she was 12 years old, we were up there and we were on our way to uh, Maine and then to Nova Scotia. And we sat in the bleachers at Fenway and uh, she's a big sports fan, good athlete and everything. And, and I'll never forget. She said that this place is cool. Can we come back? Because she was used to veteran stadium, <laughs> you know, with the Phillies and all of a sudden she's in a different world. And you know what? That is New England, and it belongs to New England, and they need to have a successful uh, team and and not just a run-of-the-mill part of a conglomerate uh, like John Henry has and Josh Harris has, you know, now with the uh, Commanders, the Sixers, the Devils. You know, they, they just don't care, and that's sad because they really need to care about these franchises. Well, I mean, the Dodgers care. They, You know, Mookie yes. Betts got traded to the Dodgers. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame wearing a Dodger hat. And, and, and he, you know, he should have been a Red Sox his entire life. The guy is a superstar, Hall of Famer. And the Red Sox had him, and they got, they got rid of him, and they said it wasn't a baseball decision. It wasn't a baseball decision. The guy wanted $30 million, and you weren't going to give it to him. So you traded him, and all the guys they got for him, Verdugo, all the guys they got for him aren't there anymore. So basically, basically they just gave bets away uh, because they have nobody to show for it right now. And uh, Chris Sale, Chris Sale is going to go to Atlanta. He's going to be healthy. He's going to be like the number three starter. It won't be a lot of pressure on him. This guy's going to go like fourteen and two for the Braves. You watch, fourteen and two with like a two point two ERA. And everybody in Boston is going to be like, why couldn't this guy do it here? Why couldn't he do that here? Well. <laughs> That's the difference between the Braves and the Red Sox right now. The Braves, uh, the Braves are where the Red Sox uh, used to be, and the Red Sox are where the Braves used to be. And you know, the Braves used to be the bottom of the division. Red Sox were the top. Now they switch positions. Uh, listen, if you're a free agent, why would you want to go to Boston? If you're an executive, why would you want to go to Boston? It used to be a great place to go to. Now it's like a black hole. So why would anybody want to go there? Uh, look, the Patriots the same way. Look, they're bringing in assistant coaches who are fired by everybody else. Who wants to coach in New England now? It's, it's, a, it's a situation where the Boston sports teams are very, very good, and now it seems like they're taking a step back in the opposite direction. And, uh, you know, New England's a great sports town, as you guys know, a great sports area. It's sad when all these teams aren't, aren't up to snuff like they should be. Doug, at the same time, I think one of the real, uh, you can't say steals, but one, I think one of the best deals made baseball-wise is the Orioles. I mean, 1 million, well, what was it, 1 million 375, I think. And, uh, you know, now they're going to spend Boku money to re- redo the stadium and uh, do a lot of updates as well as getting the players that they have now in the minor league system and in the major league system. Uh, to me, uh, when you look at all these, you know, paying $6 billion in Washington for a football team, uh, $5 billion, and, and uh, I mean, I, I think $1.37 for the two fellows that bought it, I mean, I, I got to think that's a pretty good buy. Uh, listen, listen it's, the, it's the worst news for the rest of the teams in the AL East because these guys look like they're going to spend money. The Angelos family was just trying to get money out of that team, right? They never, they never, right. They never signed anybody. They never spent any big money. Now that there's new ownership, I think the rest of the league's going to say, whoa, these guys are going to go out and get players. If they need a guy at the trading deadline, they're going to go get them. If they need a guy at the end of the season, they're going to go out and get them. So and Angelos never did that. He, he lost, he lost, he lost. They got top draft picks. And if you look at the lineup, a lot of these guys are just draft picks. 
that they took that they got when they were losing and at a high draft pick. This new, these new owners are going to spend some cash. So I think if you're a competitor in the AL East, you have to worry about that and say, wow, they got talent, but now they're willing to spend money yeah. when they maybe need a, a piece here or, uh, here or there. That's a big, big difference the way it used to be in Baltimore. Roger? Yeah, the, the and Baltimore, as we've said uh, several times, is, has uh, took a number of years, but uh, uh, they're on their way back. All right, in, Doug, in Doug we're going to hold it. We're going to hold it right there. Larry Bow is ready to go. Doug, I thank you very, very much. Great segment, and uh, talk to you thank later you, on Doug. in the week. Absolutely. Uh, anytime, guys. It was fun. Take care. Larry Bow is on the line right now, and, of course, always love to have Larry on because he gives us a lot of good information. First of all, How's the camp going? You're taking care of all those 50-year-olds right now. Yeah, we had, we had a good time. It, it, it ended last week, but we had a good time. Uh, I think they have a better time when the last game, when the game's over around five, and then they go to the bar and drink and and talk how good how good they performed <laughs> that during that day. So, but it was fun. It was fun. Larry, Larry, as you look over the free agents that are remaining and the ones that were signed, uh, give me a little bit of an overview of some of your thoughts about. Uh, Somebody that has done well so far, or, or somebody that uh, is sort of holding back. Well, I think the guys that are out there now. I think obviously the agents are are waiting for the, the shoe to drop. You know what happens, especially with pitching. You know, teams go in saying, "Oh, we're good. We got this. We got that." Then maybe a week to ten days in, they realize we might be a little short. We need some inventory, or maybe a guy goes down. Uh, but, you know, the, the people that are out there now are pretty good baseball players. So I'm sure they're going to be very patient. I know uh, Boris has a few of them. So, um, you know, and I guarantee these guys are not just sitting around. I'm sure they're working out. If you're a pitcher, you're probably doing bullpens. If you're a hitter, you're probably hitting and taking ground balls or fly balls, whatever. And when they do sign eventually, I don't think it's going to be that long for them to get into uh, game shape, really. Roger Hendler? Yeah, Larry, you know, there's a lot of speculation who, uh, where, when, uh, anything, you know, you're in Florida, anything that uh, you can uh, bring to the table about anything you've heard about who they may sign, the Phillies? I don't, to be honest with you, I think we're looking for another, maybe a relief pitcher, maybe a starting pitcher, but I don't know if we're in the park with the two starting pitchers that are out there right now, our payroll is pretty high. Uh, and I think right now, if you look at our lineup, we got a pretty good lineup. I, I, and mm-hmm. It's not that you have to – I don't think you have to stand pat, but if our guys do what they're supposed to do and our – the key, as, as Don, as you well know, if you could keep your rotation healthy, uh, that's the key of, of, of staying in the division and getting to the playoffs and going deep in the playoffs. Pitching is so important. And, of course, defense. And, and last year, defensively, when we put Rojas in center field and moved Marsh to left, our defense improved unbelievable. And, you know, and I heard Dave Dombrowski and, and, and Thompson, I'm talking to them, uh, they're going to see if Rojas can, you know, what kind of spring he has offensively. And we know he can play out there. But he definitely has to hit better than he did the last month and a half. So uh, we we do have – you know, knowing Dave, we do have a good group of uh, youngsters down there. It would not shock me, and again, this is not inside information, it would not shock me if he put together a package and, and got somebody. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, 
I do know our payroll is pretty high right now, and their big objective this spring is to sign Wheeler. I'm sure they've had talks going on, and up till now nothing's happened. So, you know, if you put two and two together, you might say, hey, maybe we can't sign Wheeler. He'll be a free agent next year. Maybe we pick up this guy that's out there now. I don't know. I'm just trying to put the puzzle together right now. But those are those are all parts that you can think about. And obviously the key is they definitely want to sign Wheeler. I know that for sure. All right, they're working out of, uh, against a very tough division. Uh, the Braves, uh, uh, they are so well situated, not only with the years of the contracts, but the age of the players. Uh, what they did last year, uh, what they are assuming that they're going to do this year. Uh, the Braves are in a very, very, very good position. No question. It's a good team, good organization, good general manager. Uh, what we have to do, even though we've been successful the last two years, we can't be chasing them all summer. Uh, you know, I think it's important to win the division. Even though we haven't done it the last two years and, and then we eventually beat the Braves, you can't rely on that happening. I, I would just as soon us win the division and worry about who you play after. But playing catch-up like we've done, we haven't gotten out of the gate the last two years at all, April and mostly mid-May or the end of May. It seems like we struggle to get out of the gate. So I think it's important that uh, we do get out of the gate because Atlanta's going to be right now on paper. They've done a good job. they got a good team. I think the Mets are going to be a little bit better. They're really the only, I don't want to say bad team, but a team that's rebuilding and, and got to let young people's Washington. You know, Miami's, Miami has some good pitching. So uh, I like our uh, chances of winning this division, but I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. You know, everyone talks about, oh, it's just going to be Atlanta and Philly. I think there's a couple other teams in there like the Mets and, and Miami that I'm not saying they're going to win the division, but they're going to be respectable when they put a team on the field. Roger? Yeah, I agree with that, Larry. I really do. And, and uh, you're right, you know, Miami's pitching. And I think Washington is uh, going to continue to improve because they've got right. a lot of young talent. Yeah, let yep. me ask you about, uh, I mean, you mentioned about uh, Rojas. but uh, And I think he's going to be a superstar in the, in the future. I really do with his speed and everything. And But they have some other uh, prospects uh, and I, I saw on the uh, list, you know, of uh, MLB prospects, they have uh, one kid, um, I, you know, I'm thinking of his name. His father was a major league uh, player. Crawford. And he's a, Crawford. Yeah, Crawford, Crawford. yes. There, I saw he's, him. He's, he's, he's a stud. Go ahead. He's going to be good. He's going to be real yeah. good. Do you think he, he could I, make the, uh, the major league team uh, coming out of spring training? No. No, he's still young. Okay. He came out he's of too young. high school. He had a tremendous year in Clearwater. They moved him to uh, Jersey Shore. Tremendous year. He can hit. He can run. He's the center fielder. But he's he's probably, uh, I'd say, probably being, I don't know, a year and a half to two years away. But he's a, he's just he's a real baby. He's He just graduated from high school. But he's the real yeah. deal. He's got all kinds of tools. Uh, and I, I – as being a selfish person right now, I wouldn't want to get rid of this kid because I think he's got a tremendous upside. And again, I don't know what Dave's going to do. You know, like he obviously his main concern is trying to win a World Series here in Philly. So, if you did trade a guy like Crawford, you're going to have to get something big in return. 
Larry Bull is our special guest this weekend, and of course, looking forward to it uh, always when Larry comes on. And Larry, we've talked about analytics so many times during the times that you've been on with us. And Joe Waller had a comment today. You're going to love it. Maybe you had a chance to it. see it. Yeah, we had a guy that hit, had a triple and two doubles and came in, and upper <laughs> management at the load, they came in and told Joe Waller they should rest him. He had three hits. I mean, what are these guys? Crazy? <laughs> I read the same thing you did. I, I heard the interview. Uh, at the end of his interview, he says, I guess I should tell these guys to go over four so they can save their legs. But uh, <laughs> I, I, that's absurd to me. Uh, you know, I, don't, I know there's some good stuff in analytics, but that makes no sense at all. Guy gets three hits, always run too much that night. we got to rest him. Uh, <laughs> you, you can have all the info you want, but I'm never going to buy into that. Usually when a guy gets three hits, that means he's starting to get hot. And you want to play him every day. Uh, but that, when I heard that, I, I just sort of rolled over and went, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. The one thing you want is to get a guy in the lineup that's hot with the bat. He gets three hits and put him on the bench. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's called, it, it, we, we have a name for it, I guess. It's called workload management, and it's all over baseball, Don. It's all over baseball. And uh, I don't know. I just scratch my head and say, wow. How about well, the rest I, of the I, National League, uh, Larry? What do you what do you see uh, outside of the well, Phillies division? Uh, I think is it going to be pretty competitive think, up and down? Yeah, I think we, I, the Central, to me, is going to be wide open in the National League. I think uh, uh, I know Cincinnati's got some real good young talent. I think the Cubs are going to be uh, uh, improved. Uh, Milwaukee trying to get young again. Uh, I know they signed Hoff, Reese Hoskins, which I think. It was a good place for Reese to land. He's got it's a home run hitting park, and I think he'll right. be great in that clubhouse. Uh, as far as the West, I mean, everyone sort of said, "Oh, the Dodgers got it," but as you well know, you still have to play the games. Dodgers have made tremendous improvement. There's no question about that. San Diego is starting to shed payroll. It looks like uh, Colorado is going to be Colorado, and the Giants—it's uh, hard to tell there. But it looks like if there is a mismatch. On paper, I'll, I'll, I'll specify that on paper. It's probably the Dodgers. I mean, uh, that's a tough lineup. They got good pitching. Uh, and the guys that got hurt last year, they're going to be very cautious with them. Uh, the guy like May and and, uh, and Kershaw's not going to pitch, according to the reports, till June. So they're deep. They're real deep. And Otani and, uh, and Yamamoto, th- those guys, they got a good ball club. There's no question about that. They just can't win that last series to get into the World Series last few years, but they got all the talent in the world. You no question about that, Roger. Well, you know, I wanted to get back to the uh, Phillies, Larry. Uh, the uh, what, how's the pitching? Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Mick Abel uh, supposedly uh, mm-hmm. is, uh, was expected to do he, things. Uh, the uh, he, what, uh, the the kid that uh, had the surgery, he's not back until Pain. next year. Painter, Painter, yeah, Painter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you don't see him coming back at all this year, I guess, do you? Uh, I'm not saying he, I'm not saying he won't come back. If he comes back, it's going to be a reach because I don't think – I'm sure he could come back, but I think the Phillies are going to be very cautious. This kid's a real deal, Painter. He's young. Mm-hmm. He had great stuff. Uh, Abel is a kid that you got to keep your eye on. He's got a great arm. Uh, McGeary's another guy. Uh, that's good inventory if they don't make our team out of spring trading. Uh, to have down there at AAA, they have tremendous arms. But right now, our rotation seems like it's pretty well set, barring any injuries. Our bullpen, we have some power arms down there. 
So I, I think, uh, it, like, you know, Dave said he'd like to get another arm, whether it be a starter or a reliever. And I know they want to get, a, like, a right-handed bat off the bench. Uh, and I don't know whether it's going to be a trade, whether there's a free agent guy out there that's a, a platoon-type player. But uh, I know he wants to sort of solidify the bench a little bit. And you want to do that usually – with a guy that's played, you don't want a kid to sit on the bench and every now and then throw him in against a left-handed pitcher. You want some right. veteran guy that's been through it, knows what he's got to do to stay ready. But I think lineup-wise, uh, I don't see any holes in our lineup. I don't. The key is going to be Rojas. If he doesn't hit, just say he has a terrible spring, which I don't think he will. I think he's going to do very well. Then you move Marsh back over to uh, to center field, and then you'd probably – get a mix and match in left field. I know they want Schwarber to basically DH. So I think they're going to try to stay away from no matter what Rojas does. I think they would like, if push came to shove, let Schwarber just DH. So, But it's, it's it's you know, you take a look at the lineup. They're all veterans. I will say this, though. The window, it's not closing, but our guys are in their 30s now. we got to win a World Series here. Yeah. And I think if yeah. we can stay healthy, I really think if we can stay healthy that uh, – we have as good a shot as anybody. Larry, you've been in this thing a long time, and, uh, you know, they've made a lot of changes in baseball, but uh, any of you, any idea in your mind of uh, what you would think if you were worrying about pitchers, uh, whether they throw 80 pitches or 90 pitches or 100 pitches, or when they uh, make the transition from AAA or AA to the major leagues, uh, pull them out after 65 or 70 pitches, uh, do you have any ideas? Because so many of them get hurt so quickly. Any ideas in I your do, mind about what you can do? I do have ideas, but it's not going to. Nobody's going to listen to them. I say you let the guys throw. I don't think any of these pitchers want to come out after seventy-five or eighty pitches. But I don't think they want to beat their head against the wall and say I'm going to battle the system. I don't know who came up with the idea that a pitcher can't go through a lineup three times at a hundred pitches. Bells and whistles go off. I don't know where this came from. Uh, I'm starting to see, not in our organization, but other organizations, oh, you can't throw your uh, relievers back-to-back days. Telling me if a guy goes out and pitches one inning and gets the side out in 12 pitches, he can't come back the next day and pitch? Uh, I don't understand where this data is coming from. All I know is guys that, and I know it's different. There's no question. I'm not saying back in the day. But guys back then, they would have 150 innings by the break. These guys think a horse is 150 innings now, 30 starts, five innings. That's not a horse. That's, that's, you know what you do end up doing? You kill your bullpen. And people wonder why well, a guy has a good year one year in the bullpen, the next year he's terrible, then he has a good year. You start going to the bullpen in April and May every single night. You know, you usually have, like, we're in a situation where Wheeler and Nola, they go deep into the game. And I think a guy like Suarez can go deep into the game. And Sanchez did a good job. The, the more you can let these guys pitch into the seventh day, I'm not saying let them throw complete games. I get that. That's obsolete now. But let them go to the seventh inning. And then, you, and then as, as the summer wears on, you're going to have a strong bullpen. But how many times do you see teams saying, oh, we need bullpen help? Because you're going to the bullpen in April and May. And uh, I, don't, I don't know who came up with the formula that 100 pitches is it. You can't go back-to-back days. And uh, – you can't go through. How about the formula? You can only throw three or four. I mean, of course, now they got to stay in a little bit longer. <clears throat> but how about the fact they come in and they can only throw twelve pitches to three guys, and then they can't come back and pitch again? That's what I mean. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I, I really don't. I, I, it baffles me. 
And, and you know, and I guarantee these these guys want to pitch. I talked to a few of them. And that that's not. It's not. They can complain all they want, but with the analytics that everybody is hired and they're paying long, paying them a lot of money. According to that, them they know that the the numbers don't lie, and this is you're going to be a lot healthier. But I agree with you. I've never seen so many pitchers go on the we call it the IL now in my life. I mean, every year right. it's it's the list gets longer and longer and longer. And, and the thing that baffles me is I watch college baseball, and I'll see a kid at LSU or or those real good base Texas, whatever uh, Alabama, all those good schools that that uh, have good base. I see a guy throw 135, 140 pitches. Then as soon as he gets drafted, wherever he goes, they limited him to 30 or 40 pitches his first time out. I'm going, <laughs> this kid just did a, a whole college year. He's, he's done a great job. But, you know, again, I, I don't I, I don't understand that part of the game anymore, the pitching part. All, all I know is I remember guys that used to throw. Jim Cott used to say, Hey, if you if you don't throw, you're going to lose. It. You got to stretch your arm out every day. Throw long. Do a lot of wind sprints for your legs. But that's uh, that's obsolete now. You know they they take care of these guys' arms, but in the meantime, the IL continues to grow every single year. Right, right. Roger, what what, what would Lefty have said if a manager came yep. out and said, uh, "Pitchers, you're out of here." He would have laughed at him probably. First of all, the manager wouldn't go out to guys like that. So, but right, right. He'd, probably, he'd probably say, I'm just getting loose. Nolan Ryan, what, somebody said he threw 170 pitches one game. So, I mean, yeah. these guys were – you know what? It was a different mentality. It was a different era then. And those pitchers wanted complete games. They strived for complete games. What I'm looking forward to, or maybe – I don't know if I'm looking forward to it. How are you going to put guys in the Hall of Fame now when they the most innings they throw is 150, 155. No one's ever going to win 300 games. That's that's right. by the wayside. And it might be a stretch for guys to win 200 games because uh, you know you pitch five or six innings. A lot of times you go out of the game, it's nothing, nothing, or two to one, or one to one. And you get a no decision. So it's going to be interesting. I know a lot of their their uh, reasoning uh, for getting to the Hall of Fame now is the war. You know, wins against replacement players. So maybe they'll be doing that from now on when they induct guys into the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Well, they're going to have a very tough time when it comes to pitchers. Because look at what Jim Cotton, you just mentioned, Jim. Uh, you know, Kitty, how many how many innings he pitched? How many games he won, huh? I mean, holy oh. smokes. <laughs> he'd be, he'd be five are, times. Oh, Go they're ahead. workhorses. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and you know you don't have to you don't have to go back to the old days. I mean, you know, no, as I said, no. You, you know, we in the old days, you, people, young kids don't realize this. So, you know, in Major League Baseball, if they pitch a game on Tuesday or Wednesday, they pitch batting practice two days later. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> so, and 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 you know the other thing, Don, is it was, I mean, not just recently, but back then it was a four man rotation. You you usually yeah. had a nine man staff at ten at the most. Now you have 13, maybe 14 on a staff. So uh, that's how the game has really changed a lot. Yeah, and you got to have a lot of people ready in the minor leagues because of those 14, three or four are going to go <laughs> oh, on yeah. the IR before no it's all over. Last question, no uh, Roger, because uh, we got to move. Larry Boa, thank you very, very much yeah. for this segment. Roger, you got the last question. Larry, I was talking to uh, Dan Baker the other night, and uh, the uh, bull sessions have uh, been uh, renewed another year with Chickie and Pete. 
and I know you've been on there a number of times. And, uh, you know, I really enjoy that show. I saw Greg Gross and uh, a number, you know, uh, guys uh, on there. And uh, it's just it's a it's a fun thing, you know, that, you know the move it around. So uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing you uh, when you're on. And uh, it's, it's always uh, great to be around you and uh, talking baseball. You're, you're well, really pre- just a, a gem. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and hopefully we can uh, talk well into the summer because I, I keep saying the third time's a charm. Two years ago, we lost to Houston. Last year, Arizona got us kicked out, and hopefully this year we can put everything together and have another parade down Broad Street. We'll see what happens. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. All right, Larry, guys. thank you so very, very much. Have a great uh, spring training. I'll see you somewhere along the way, and uh, we'll get together again. You got it, Don. Take care. Be safe, partner. God bless. Okay. All right. We're going to switch back to football now. Trevor's ready to go. And uh, Trevor, of course, covers the USFL force. And uh, one thing that uh, that he knows more about than we do is uh, the fact that he covers all the spring episodes and is ready to go for the regular season. So, Trevor, welcome back to the show. What's on your top line for the USFL today? Well, we got in, we got to get into the habit of calling it the USL because yeah. um, it's it's one of those things. Force the habit, I know, but the USL, um, a couple of big things going on regarding, um, <clears throat> excuse me, some rules and stuff. Um, they're going to be keeping the USL, US, excuse me, the USFL's kickoff format, which is the kicker sends it away from his own twenty yard line. This resulted in the average starting field position beginning um, from the 37-and-a-half-yard line uh, in the USFL in 2023. So it's encouraging more teams to return the kick instead of just taking the touchback. So that's a really good rule that I'm glad they're keeping from the USFL. Um, But a really bad one. Most exciting part of the game is the return to kickoffs. Oh, absolutely. It's the – beginning and obviously the middle and sometimes it comes down to you know one of those plays and I'm glad that they're kind of encouraging them but they did make a mistake in my personal opinion um, with the extra point rule they're keeping the XFL's rule which is the one point play so after you score a touchdown you can't actually kick with the one point conversion in a sense you have to run a offensive play but if you're trying to score a two-point conversion, and if you were watching the USFL, there was a three-point conversion after a touchdown as well. They can be kicked or um, used on, like, you can have actual offense as well on those plays. But they are sticking what is the, the, what is the If you have to kick it, what is the distance? I, I'm not sure. I think it's a challenging distance. I think it might be, like, the 50, 55. And for spring kickers, it's honestly a coin flip sometimes. So, um, okay. But they are actually getting decent special teams units in there, so they might change that. Um, but they are banning the kickers from the 32-yard uh, point after attempt. Uh, in my opinion, it really does hurt the position because if you look at a prime example of someone that thrived off of the spring football leagues in general was the current Dallas Cowboys kicker, Brandon Aubrey received a Pro Bowl and All-Pro honors in his technical rookie season after two years with the Birmingham Stallions. He was stellar, uh, two rings to show for it with them, but 
and now look what he's doing in the NFL. I think that's going to prohibit um, and maybe limit what special teams units can do and show to try to get to the NFL. Obviously, that's the biggest goal. But you know, I think that's kind of a big mistake on their end. But you know, who knows? Maybe it'll work out. But um, those are just some of the rule changes. I got some player um, signings as well that I could just quickly go over. Um, the Memphis Showboats signed former Carolina Panthers wide receiver Josh Van. Um, one more second here. The St. Louis Battlehawks signed running back Jacob Sailors. Um, he was a former Cincinnati Bengal. Uh, the San Antonio Brahmas signed former Pittsburgh Steeler running back Anthony McFarland. Um, a defensive tackle, Jacob Sykes. And an actually a, a good punter, Brad Wing. Um, all guys with NFL experience, at least on practice squads and stuff. And you, and you like to see those kind of acquisitions being brought in just to get that kind of talent and veterancy in these locker rooms and just genuinely on the field. It just shows that, you know, maybe the lesser guys are even pretty, pretty, pretty darn good because I do believe that there is actually stars in this league. And, you know, if anyone out there hasn't seen a, a spring league um, game or anything like that, it's actually really, you know, it's better quality than you think. Um, and I think we're actually going to get in terms of, quality of rosters probably the best year of spring league football ever uh you know maybe you can obviously go back in retrospect talk about jim kelly and herschel walker back in the usfl but they they came up through the league but in terms of a league trying to stick around for consistency and genuinely to be its own entity i do believe that this might be the most jam-packed uh you know, amount of quality players in a alternative league that we've ever seen Roger, you, you know, Trevor, um, is that Anthony McFarlane? Is he related to uh, Booger McFarlane? Do you know? I don't believe so. Um, I could be okay. wrong on that. Same name. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Just, yeah. And, and, <laughs> well, anyway, the the other question I had is. They, the uh, NFL is either implementing, according to uh, what I heard uh, about the competition committee, where they are going to now be encouraging uh, the uh, runbacks. And, uh, and then if the ball comes down and if it's not picked up, the defense can go uh, after the ball, and they feel – what uh, uh, the critics are saying is that's going to really hurt the offensive side of the ball. And uh, the, is the U the uh, UFL going to do that or another test that they're going to run? I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I, I do know that they do have, honestly, in my opinion, uh, a more simple set of rules when it comes to penalties and stuff. Um, when you do watch these leagues in the springtime, um, especially the USFL the last two years, they let the players play. They let the players hit. Um, kind of, you know, you might even call some of the, the calls bad, but they're obviously spring refs. I mean, they're not going to be perfect, but, um, you know, they, they do let the games run, you know, and, sometimes to the fault of another team. But uh, in terms of the rules of, like, fumbling and stuff, they don't have that ridiculous um, touchback rule to where if you fumble it in your own or in the opponent's end zone, then it's the opponent's ball. 
touchbacks on their own 25-yard line. That's not in the USL. But um, like you said about the kickoffs, um, it I don't know. It, I just believe that if you obviously bring the kicker out, he's going to have to try and pin the ball deep, and a lot of guys can't you know, do that without either getting the ball through the end zone or, you know, kind of making a mistake. And, you know, Cavante Turpin, who played in the USFL in 2022, he was a uh, MVP of the league, um, now on the Dallas Cowboys as well for his second season. He had a really nice year, was more uh, involved in the offense, but he thrived off that. He, he was the MVP. What yard line are you saying they're going to kick it off from now? What is the what is the present the present the ruling as far as their kickoffs are concerned? Do you say 25-yard line? The kicker sends it away from the 20-yard line. This resulted in an average starting field position of 37.4 in the USFL in 2023. So everyone – There's very few kickers. There's very few kickers who are going to reach the end zone. If you have a rule that says you've got to field it and and go with it, you can't just down it and take it on 25. Not very many kickers can kick it into the end zone from back there. No. And that's that's and it, the, what it, the critics are complaining about, Don. I don't it's know. Stupid. I think that it's, it's stupid rule. I think it's the. I I actually enjoy it because it's encouraging. Um, it, in the UFL's case, it's encouraging the special teams units to actually play because in the NFL, it, it's the exact opposite. We don't see any right, of that. Right. Seven but the only thing with that, though, Trevor, the only thing with that is more people get hurt. And that's the reason they've tried to protect the players by letting them call a fair catch, even though it's not in the end zone and not take a touchback, is because so many players were getting hurt, you know, with kickoff returns. And uh, that's that's the reason they made the rule, you know, the rule change in the National Football League. And they're doing just the opposite than you're saying. No, absolutely. And honestly, from the two years I've watched the USFL and they used this rule for their last two, you know, first seasons, um, there there wasn't any, you know, cra- I watched every game. I'm not even lying to anyone out there. Didn't miss a snap. There wasn't any crazy, crazy injuries. I mean, you practice smart, you play safe, but you also take into accountability of just smart tackling and everyone doing their jobs. You got to kind of hope for that on any given Sunday in the NFL, obviously. Same with the spring leagues. But, you know, I, I just feel like it just, it gives you more of a chance to see big plays and you get to use your actual skill position in the kick returner, which is so underutilized in the NFL and it it can flip the field. I mean, it literally an MVP of the USFL in their inaugural season is now on the Dallas Cowboys as a starting wide receiver in the slot, as well as a kicking returner. I mean, there's no way anyone else would have gotten that kind of spotlight if this rule wasn't implemented. So it's a controversial one, obviously, for the safety of the players. But at the end of the day, in the NFL especially, those guys get paid so much money that it really should be the betterment of the game, in my personal opinion. And if the NFL really cared about player safety, they would have switched to all real grass by now and they would have taken those kind of precautions. Um, but, you know, the game has definitely changed. It's fast and a little more fragile. But. I think using this kind of model in the USL could potentially lead for something the NFL could adopt later on, but, you know, that's obviously down the road. Roger? 
Well, I'll tell you what, you're talking about the natural grass uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, I've heard a lot of people that are out in uh, Las Vegas, uh, and, uh, and I've heard this on uh, Sirius uh, NFL radio, uh, they, uh, they just talk about this stadium in, in uh, Las Vegas. I know nothing about it other than I've seen it on uh, TV. I do believe that uh, they have the same system uh, as the uh, Cardinals have at their stadium there in Glendale, uh, where it's on uh, natural grass and it's on a, a plane that they bring out and um, they can keep the grass, uh, you know, outside. And then they move that uh, uh, plane into the uh, stadium because obviously it's enclosed and um, you don't have artificial uh, an artificial surface. I, I believe that's what it is. But I know Bob Papa was just talking about uh, how great it is. And uh, he said that the NFL – uh, should this should be the the uh, uh, the goal of every NFL stadium to be like this? Now you know he he was using as as an example the money spent on MetLife Stadium uh, for the Giants and Jets uh, compared to what is being spent in other stadiums today. But you know, Giant, believe it or not, MetLife Stadium as Don and I and, and and your father-in-law, or your uh, yeah, your uh, your uh, uh, father-in-law, no, um, the uh, we know uh, that, uh, or your your grandfather, I should say, as as we know, that's now getting to be a, an old stadium, uh, you know, believe it or not, and and they're never going to put natural turf in there because of all these events they have, and. Uh, What's your, what's your feeling about that? Uh, do you know anything about the Las Vegas uh, stadium at all, Trevor? I don't. I don't know too much about the Las Vegas stadium, but if it is an actual, you know, legitimate grass field, I appreciate the actual effort. You bring up MetLife Stadium since 2020. It's had the most career-ending and season-ending injuries in the NFL uh, it is legit. Just it's it's probably the worst stadium to play in. I've I've definitely seen um, through you know the internet and Twitter and all that good stuff and player interviews. It's it's definitely the least liked stadium to play at that in Arizona as well. But I, I just think that you know the, the NFL and all these owners make so much money hand over fist. This should definitely be something they've done they've done ten fifteen years ago. But, you know, the fact that it's kind of one of these things that is now just being kind of brought to light in the past couple of years is crazy. I mean, well, the 49ers, the 49ers have already complained about the trading site for the Super Bowl. They said that the field uh, that they were assigned to, uh, the grass was too soft. And that, yeah, it's uh, UNLV, Don. Yeah, that's exactly right, Roger. They, and they, they complained. So they wanted to go to a different facility, a practice facility, for uh, the Raiders, I believe is where they wanted to go. I don't. I didn't see whether they followed through on that or not. Did you see that, Roger? I didn't see where they. No, did or not. no, I didn't. And uh, you know, I was just wondering whether uh, uh, the Raiders, you know, uh, because they're in the uh, um, uh, American Conference, if um, maybe uh, that's where uh, the uh, Chiefs are, you know, where they would they are practicing. I don't know. I mean. You know, I, I was thinking today uh, about everything that is going on out there, 
and uh, how different it is. I don't know whether you guys heard about this or not. I was shocked uh, the other day. Um, I'm trying to, I guess it was uh, Monday. I was getting something to eat in uh, this local restaurant, and they had Goodell's press conference on. And I'm thinking, this is like Monday, and he's having his press conference? I mean, he always had the State of the uh, League on Fridays at like 1130 local time. And now he's having it. Well, now I heard it was, I think it was Ira uh, that was on with uh, Chris Russo this afternoon. uh, And he said that that was all by invitation only. So that's it. Goodell controlled the entire questioning and the um, uh, the the number the people the uh, media that was there he wasn't going to take any tough questions so I guess he's finished for the week as far as having to face the media which was an absolute travesty and a joke when because you're, you're controlling the whole menu message but I think that's what's coming Don you and I have talked about it you know they they want to buy ESPN so they'll control even more. And they will not have – they'll have everybody that's an employee of theirs uh, instead of uh, having some unbiased uh, 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 voices. Well, Trevor, I don't know whether it's going to affect your uh, situation or not, but, uh, you know, it, it all I talked about today, the new streaming uh, team, which is going to be Fox, ESPN, and uh, Warner, and they're going to launch, launch this uh, sports behemoth. They're going to stream all these games. And uh, I don't know if they're eventually going to move over to your league or whether they're going to stay with anyone. I think they're going to take everybody. I think they're going to take hockey. I think they're going to take soccer. They already said they were going to take the world soccer. And uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what the TV is coming to. It's, it's, they're going to have everything. Yeah, no, I, it was a huge deal that kind of came out of nowhere to me for sure. Um, the USL will definitely um, – they, they they probably knew about this going into this merger, um, and it's definitely going to be a product of whatever they decide to call this joint operation between not only uh, Fox and ESPN, but TNT, uh, Warner Brothers. Everyone's pitched in on this. It's a huge deal, and it's because Paramount apparently just sold for like $12 billion or something, so a lot of people are jumping around, and it's – but it's all a monopoly at this point, you know. Even the well, NFL Paramount right? was owned by CBS, right? That was the. It wasn't Paramount, the streaming service of uh, CBS. I yes. I don't think was it. I, no, they I'm are Paramount sure. is part of CBS. Yeah, they're part of CBS Viacom, and then um, on top of that, uh, I know the. Um, uh, ABC obviously has their own wet loss and um, and then NBC's got Peacock and I know Fox has one I forget that they are because I hear them when they talk about it but the uh, I you know we talked about this so earlier Fox really Sports didn't... 1 and Fox Sports 2 Roger yeah well they have that but they also have a streaming service like Peacock right and right. I, but I forget the name of it but um, the thing here, here's the question I have for you, Trevor. You're the perfect uh, person to ask this. We talked about it earlier. Uh, we don't look at the the average Joe 
between 18 and 25, we'll say, or 16 and 25, being the, the, a fan of the NFL that would spend money to stream and watch a game because of uh, attention span, et cetera. You're in, in that, close to that age group, whatever. You tell me, are you interested in spending money to watch a game to stream it on a, on a streaming? Uh, me personally, I, I, I'm not. Um, but I okay. can speak. I can speak for a vast majority of um, people in that age um, demographic, and they do. Uh, they, they really do. They have the YouTube Sunday ticket. They have the the uh, Peacock. They, you know, I'm not gonna lie. When the USFL was on, I did I did get the five dollar a month Peacock just to watch those exclusive games. Again, everyone's raising their prices. Like last year, I finally just canceled that subscription, but. In terms How of much NFL, is it this year? I think they increased it up to like $15 a month. So I was like, I can't okay. justify it. It's the same product, and then they're just charging $10 more. It's ridiculous. But um, in terms of, you know, in general, I do believe that, you know, these massive corporations and streaming services are so popular because, you know, you're, everyone's worst you know, fear is actually coming to true and everyone is buying into these types of services because it's easy, convenient. And like you said, the attention span is definitely low. It's instant gratification here, there. I can record it on my phone, on my iPad, on my laptop. I can come back and watch a game from two days ago and, and, you know, have it on my laptop, whatever. And it's, you know, the whole, the whole cable television deal, it's, no one waits anymore for things, and you, you got to also take that into consideration. Everyone wants that overnight shipping, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just here now, you know, and uh, waiting a week or waiting, you know, two weeks. That's why all these shows are coming out on Netflix and Hulu. It's because there's so many, so much content out there, and if one of these production companies or these streaming platforms misses a beat, then they get a, you know, another company gets an edge on them and then boom. And that's why you're seeing that massive merger. It's because, I mean, there's weakness in Disney right now. People are jumping and I honestly but Netflix think has that, already jumped in now. Their Netflix is going to be a part of it too. They're, they're, going, yeah. they're going for a sports package. I, I, I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner because they actually, it's, it, this may sound crazy, but on the Netflix app, you can play video games on there. They added that feature. I mean, it's it, it's crazy what um, the digital realm of this is coming to, the digital side of sports media and just streaming in general. It's it's just it's well, Let's go insane. back for a second, Trevor. Let's go back. What, what is the actual starting date of the league? And also, uh, uh, when we talk about the starting date, give us your idea. Uh, I know you talked about Birmingham being very strong. They were strong last year. Uh is your concept the fact that Birmingham will be the leader going into the season, and there's eight teams, if I remember correctly? How do you how do you order the teams out? Um, me personally, off the top of my head, um, I definitely have Birmingham favored going into the season, and I definitely, you know, I've talked to a bunch of players on all teams via Twitter okay. and stuff online, obviously hoping to get. And obviously, Vinny Papali on the Memphis Showboats. Hopefully, he's not upset when I say the Birmingham Stallions are my favorite team going into this. But I would have them. 
I would have the uh, the San Antonio Brahmas at number two for the main reason that Wade Phillips is their coach. They've had a some they've had a very like solid off season, really good um, pickups the last week. Uh, and honestly, after that, I think it's actually really close between uh, the Michigan Panthers, the Memphis Showboats, the Houston Roughnecks. Um, and then the Arlington Renegades, obviously a championship team last year for the XFL League. Um, and then after that, I think the D.C. defenders have good pieces, but I think they're a little weak on offense. And the St. Louis Battlehawks, they don't have a quarterback right now. A.J. McCarron, obviously, if anyone knows his name, he was a backup, a career backup in the NFL, but played at Alabama for, you know, some of those glory years. But um, he played a really solid season for them last year, but he's not confirmed that he's coming back. And they also lost their star running back due to retirement. So it's just one of those things where I think they might actually be the weakest team because of that question mark. Um, well, Trevor, we'll but, leave you right there. We'll come back next week and uh, you can up, upgrade us each week until we get to the start. And what was the starting date of the league? I, I want to go back to that for a second. Going to be March 30th. March 30th. Okay. I, I didn't hear what you had said. March 30th. All right, Trevor, thank you very, very Trevor, much. Have we'll a great go back. Week. Yeah. You guys now let's too. go to thank Doug, so Doug Hamilton is next up, and uh, he's down there in that Baltimore, Washington area. We spent a little time mm-hmm. talking about Baltimore early on in the show because uh, mm-hmm. I've talked to Doug since the, uh, the sale, three points, what was mm-hmm. it, $1.375 billion for the Orioles, and they're going to redo the stadium. Cam uh, yards will be uh, upgraded and uh, ready to go, and they're going into the season with a team that has a, a great deal of potential. So, Doug, uh, mm-hmm. your thoughts? Uh, a lot of buzz. Uh, in, in the Baltimore area. I mean, obviously, we've we've completed our football season and, and turned the page to uh, to baseball um, as a segue there to, what, another 10 days or so until we report. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty big deal in Baltimore that we can free ourselves of the Angelos reign of, um, you know, just being very cheap and um, putting an okay product out there for a very long time. Um I think it's an interesting time for uh, Rubenstein to come into ownership uh, with regard to the right pieces being in place with Mike Elias and a very strong top-to-bottom farm system. Um, you know, hopefully it's an infusion of cash on uh, on his part uh, that allows us to spend some money in, in, in payroll. Um, you know, we can be more active in free agency. Um, you know, I think... Well, you can, already made a move for a pretty good pitcher. Well, you know, I, I I think that obviously one of the, the, the headlining overarching needs of, of the uh, Orioles was a front-line starting pitcher, and there was rumors and discussions about a number of different individuals, um, Dylan Cease being probably the most frequent. Um, you know, and I think that the White Sox are holding the rest of the league ransom um, in terms of what they were asking for him, and I believe that it was stated that the same – the same basic trade was offered to, to the White Sox. Maybe there was an additional um, lower-level minor leaguer that was involved, uh, you know, for the fourth piece, and they rejected it. The Brewers obviously uh, t- took what they what, what we offered them, and um, it'll be nice to see uh, Baltimore run a decent starting lineup of, of uh, pitchers out there for the year. Um, my belief is that um, 
you know, Brandon Hyde moves his chess pieces around with flexibility of, of um, you know, players. I know that Jackson Holiday was invited to uh, the, the training or uh, spring training. I know that uh, Connor Norby and Kobe Mayo were also invited. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what some of these youngsters can do uh, in an extended look with spring training. You know, I don't know if the Orioles are done spending money yet. Um, I think they need something on the back end of their bullpen. Um you know, I think Craig Kimbrell's 35, and I don't believe he's – I mean, Felix Bautista was pretty lights out last year. I don't. It's going to be tough to replace him, but I have some concerns at the back end of the bullpen in leverage situations, let's put it that way. Roger? Is Roger there? He is. All right, let's go back and say, Roger's first of all – Roger's here. No, Roger's here. Okay. I was just saying that uh, uh, Craig Kimball, I wouldn't count a lot on. I mean, I might be wrong, but he lost two games in the playoffs. But I think he was also overused. Like, uh, Way Larry overused. Boa, yeah, well, Larry Boa hit the nail on the head. When they start using the uh, bullpen heavily in uh, April and May, and then mm-hmm. uh, no wonder they have problems later on. But, uh, you know, um, Doug, didn't I read that uh, Angelo still, the family still has a big uh, impact uh, and and part in that uh, operation? Well, the, I mean, the major league owners need to officially vote this uh, transaction. I believe that uh, they're expediating the process because this guy, Rubenstein, I think has already been vetted, and I think that by and large, I would assume that just as the Angelos family pissed off most of Maryland and Baltimore and Oriole fans, I'm sure that he had the same impact on the other remaining owners. So I don't think a transfer of um, ownership is going to be a big deal. Um, the only sticking point is going to be um, the old man Angelos is still alive, and for tax purposes, I don't believe that they can transfer 100% of, and I think it starts at 40. Um, oh, okay. You know, my question would be if Mike Elias wakes up in the middle of the night and says, you know, holy crap, Blake Snell's still available. I want to go, you know, sign him to a contract. Well, who the hell does he ask to spend the money at this point? You know, because the Angelos mm-hmm. family is getting this off their books. Is he calling up Rubenstein and saying, hey, you mind if I drop $60 million of your money over the next couple of years? <laughs> um, so I'm not sure how that works. Well, I think that's uh, a good question. Yeah, when I talked talked earlier with uh, one of the reporters from down here, I just think that the sale price was really very fair. I mean, uh, you mm-hmm. and I didn't have a chance to talk much about it, but uh, was it one billion three twenty five or three seventy five? No, one one seven two, I think, or one seven three. One seven three. Okay, I just thought compared to what's going on in baseball and football, mm-hmm. I just I just um, thought that was a very fair price for these two fellows to put up. Maybe you have a different sale. idea. You're closer to it. You're right there in Baltimore. Some of your thoughts yeah. about the buy. And the people well, that the two people that are actually now the owners or will be when the when the uh, uh, league gets together and votes on it. But I mean some mm-hmm. of your ideas are the two gentlemen that bought it and, and uh, what do you think about it? Well, I mean I mean just a couple things. I mean, hell I don't think it's it's worth paying 10 bucks a beer at M&T Bank Stadium for one. Um, but uh, nonetheless, you know, what the Redskins sell for, $6 billion? I mean, right. you know, how, right. how, do, how, do you, how are you actually valuing, you know, the top to bottom? It's not just like you're buying, 
you know, the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, and that was one of the interesting points that I had heard. You know, Rubenstein's going to – I mean, he's a billionaire himself. And with all the other, you know, individuals that comprise this management group, so to speak, there was at least one other billionaire in there. Um, 1.7 seems to be pretty fair for, uh, you know, a, a, a team with the Orioles' track record and pedigree. Um you know, in terms of and eighty and an eighty eighty one game at least eighty one games at home. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, this guy's getting in at the right time with, you know, the the proverbial ascension, if you will, of of the Orioles. You know, out of the dark ages of the Angelos family and not spending money and losing seasons and putting crummy products out there. I mean, you know, they won eighty what three games the year or yeah year year before, and then we're at one hundred and one last year. I mean. You know, will they regress a little bit? Hell, I don't know, maybe. Um, I think the odds makers have the Orioles winning 87 games is the plus-minus number. But, um, but, Doug, just to interrupt you for a second, I mean, you're talking about a team that won 101 games. I mean, you're not buying a bottom of the barrel. You're buying a sure, team no. that's going to be, a, again, an American League well, East penny contender, if not for sure. the possibility of winning the World Series. Well, I mean, look, you just saw the Kansas City Royals, you know, pretty small market team, sign Bobby Witt to an 11-year, $288 million contract. And I think that's one of the first things that's on, you know, the minds, at least of, of me and, and, and maybe other Baltimore fans is, you know, you Plus guys he's got like about five buyouts in there, Doug. He's got about five, sure. I think, uh, like 25, 27, 29. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got a lot of money under contract, no question. That's a big deal for for the Royals to do that, and I think that with new ownership, does that, like I said, does that open up, you know, the pearly gates for them to sign a guy like Adley Rutschman to a similar deal with um, the same agent, Jop Oros? I mean, um, can we actually do something smart and buy low now on a guy like Rutschman to extend him for 10, 11 years as opposed to waiting until he gets four or five years down the road, and now we're going to have to pay twice that number? Um so, I mean, there's a lot of interesting topics and, and concepts, I think, if you're an Orioles fan right now, um, you know, really excited about the start of spring training after winning 101 games and adding a couple key pieces to uh, an already good team that hasn't even seen some of their younger talent play at this level. Um, so it's pretty exciting to be an O's fan at this point, and I think this guy's buying in at the absolute right time. I'll tell you, I heard some interesting uh, information, I guess, today or yesterday, on baseball, you fellows have probably heard it too. The, uh, I, the whoever it was in that, in Las Vegas, a Chamber of Commerce or whatever, uh, they basically uh, said to the uh, Oakland A's, uh, it would be better for you if you can work something out and stay in Oakland, okay? Because they really don't need baseball in Las Vegas, and uh, they really don't necessarily want baseball in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, they, the only thing that they're lacking now other than that is an NBA franchise. And, you know, that'll probably come. But uh, I found that very interesting where, you know, because the Raiders moved to Vegas, they're, everything's, copa, you know, copacetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think that, uh, Don, you and I have talked about it on and we're off the air. I think Charlotte or Nashville would be a very a much better market for baseball than Las Vegas. I would tend to agree, but at the same time, I think you're also turning you're, you're thumbing your nose, if you will, at the Oakland A's because they stink. Um, you know, I think we would be having a different conversation potentially if if the Oakland A's were on the cusp of 
you know, competing for a, a championship or World Series. Um, but, you know, like you said, by and large, I think that those uh, southern markets, I think they're, they were dying for an additional sports franchise. I mean, I think, to your point, Roger, I believe that NBA basketball would probably be a better fit in Las Vegas than, than baseball in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but but again, know. Doug, I mean, you're buying the bottom of the barrel with Oakland. I mean, sure. they haven't been able to really do anything for years. They're not spending any money. They're really a, mm-hmm. a negative for all of the, the American League. And uh, it seems to me that Las Vegas is uh, they've got it all now. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. amazing what they've done. Ten years ago, if you talked about you know going, they weren't even allowed to go into the casinos, much less mm-hmm. <laughs> have every sport in America. Sure. Uh, but well, I mean, one, say, I mean, one I other that, thing I'd like to ask you, because before we run out, yeah. I saw a couple of things. But number mm-hmm. one, uh, what's the reaction now? I, I saw where Harbaugh said that he's going to change the offense next year with Jackson. He's going to make uh, him a much more bigger, a much bigger part of the offense. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the reaction uh, a week later after the disappointing loss and uh, looking ahead? Sure. What's 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 the thoughts of all the boys? Well, I mean, I think that the Orioles, Orioles, the Ravens gave their uh, end-of-season presser, and I think that Eric DaCosta was uh, pretty adamant about the fact that he's already moved on from this season uh, in an effort to, you know, look to next season. He um, mentioned that he he, he went to the Senior Bowl, uh, you know, the day after uh, they lost the the playoff game. Uh, So they're, you know, around here it's going to be what free agents can we keep, what, you know, what contracts can we restructure to keep the most amount of people? Um, you know, they lost some key components of their defensive coaching staff and Anthony Weaver and Mike McDonald and Denard Wilson. Uh, they lost a very big part of their player personnel and Joe Ortiz. Um, right. So there's going to be some shifting and, and some different things going around with uh, people filling in at different positions. They have to talk about scouting and the draft and all, all these different things. Um, but, but I think uh, to your answer to your question is, is Todd Munkin is going to be here uh, for another season. So I think there'll be uh, more cohesion in uh, the ascension, if you will, of Lamar Jackson in his offense and potentially some more leeway for him to uh, be a bigger part of, um, you know, whether it's run pass options or or plays that he calls uh, in the huddle or uh, checks he makes at the line. Uh, But again, a large part of that is going to be what's surrounding him in terms of uh, player and personnel with, Gosh, you got Beckham, who's a, a free agent, and, and Kevin Zeitler, their lineman's a free agent, and their defenses could potentially be decimated with uh, some of the contracts they may sign elsewhere. Uh, so it's it's a business, and this happens to every team uh, quite a bit um, as they kick that can down the road with either voided years on their contracts or um, you know d- you know restructures and and all these different things that they have to do. So they have a, a long off season to get this figured out, and I think the the Ravens have about eight or nine drafts. Got it. Hello? Yeah, Hello? about 25 to 35 uh, uh, players uh, or a percentage of the roster changes every year because of free Hold it right there, Roger. We're out of time. We're, we're out of time. Doug, thank you very much. We didn't even get a chance to talk have about a great week, golf Doug. tournament. Yes, sir. We'll get together again next week, boys, on Wednesday. Thank you very much for the Fighting Network. Take it over, our executive producer, Frank Carroll. Thanks, Frank. God bless. Thanks, everybody, for being on so so well prepared. Uh, Doug, we hope you uh, feel better. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. Men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of Peace and Fire Services. 
when you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, let them know you know they're there. They're not all bad people out there. There's a lot of good people out there in uniform. These programs are de- dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yaswitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego, Mike Henler, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, uh, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, <clears throat> Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant uh, Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Chris from Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant uh, Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Pikes, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Zachary Ben, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Longboat Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff, Deputy Blaine Lane, and Deputy Mike, I'm sorry, Chris Meyer, uh, Polk County Sheriff's Department, Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Police Department, Temple University Police Department, and Sergeant uh, Raul Madrigas, Philadelphia Airport Police, and Philadelphia Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hands. Good night. God bless, and please have a good week.
Emergency. May God rest his soul. Good night, Bob. We love you and we miss you. 